Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Monday after the draft. Grades. Not here. Dan Cilio, right here on the National Football Show. Welcome aboard here on this Monday. I hope you had an exciting weekend. I hope you saw the draft for what it was. Teams getting an opportunity to get better. You know, when you when you hear everybody on Monday, Cowboys got an F because, you know, they really wanted the DB, Patrick Sertain, the second from Bama, or, hey, I don't know, Justin Fields, he sucks. So, you know, the Bears get – dude, these guys don't own a helmet yet. There's no grades. On a Monday. And anyone who tells you that, now I'll tell you what we will do. How I look at the NFL draft, I will tell you, we'll do this more so at the bottom of the hour, the teams that filled needs, did they get better this offseason? What teams did get better this offseason? The players, how many times have you guys seen this in this story play out? This guy was one of the greatest college football players I have ever seen in my life. Dude makes that change and that transition over to the National Football League. And what ends up happening? What happens is that guy goes to the wrong place, the wrong coach, the wrong personnel settings around him. And you know what? Before you know it, the guy's a bomb. And then you're like this. Jesus Christ, this guy, he, he, he's a bust. That's There are so many things. It, it's like a, how about this? It's like a five-cent washer destroying an Indianapolis 500 run. You know, you've got a $50 million car and a five-cent washer breaks. The whole thing's done. You're out. That's how precise it has to be when you get drafted to an NFL football team. The players got to be good. The players got to be smart. The team's got to be smart. The people around them have to be smart a.k.a. the assistant coaches. And the most important thing of all time, the organization has to be patient. It's so important when you're looking at and how you evaluate how a draft. You know, it's funny. I was was talking to my guy Xander before I came on. What would you think of the draft? Well, certain teams got better and certain teams didn't get better. You know, who had the best offseason? Because nowadays – Because of what the NFL CBA did a few years back, when they made free agency more of an entity in this, that you're getting players now in their mid to late 20s. Whereas before, during my time, you, you, you go to a team and you're 37 years old if you're a free agent. And because of, of COVID, because of the salary cap, and that played a factor in this draft. You have to understand that. Because a lot of football teams, what they did, they went out and they plugged a lot of holes with free agents. Why? Well, because of COVID-19. Had a big-time impact on the NFL salary cap. It came down about $23 million. Which meant, what does that mean? 
some really good football players had to go out onto the open market that you would traditionally never see. And it has upset a lot of rosters. So what do they have to do? They have to go back into the NFL draft and they have to plug those holes with inexperienced guys. You see, with the NFL, this is a perfect world for the league. Teams that got bad and had really a lot of cap money to move and a lot of assets to be able to play with during free agency did. Doesn't always translate into winning football, but because these guys are younger, this is not like back in the day when the Eagles made a move for Nandi Asamoah, Vince Young, and them dudes. They brought those guys in. They had one year and the rest of the time. It was a train wreck, and then before you know it, Banner and uh, Andy Reid are fired because they brought in mercenaries. That's not like it is today. The NFL right now is in a position where they can clearly get better in both the draft and free agency. Free agency is a major player now. That's why when we were talking to Jimmy Johnson last week, Coach Johnson said right here, you still build with your foundation in the NFL when it comes to the draft. But now so more than ever, you can really just plug guys in when it came to going out and finding a guy, maybe a corner you need, which are very hard to find. And, you know, there's one position also in NFL free agency that you do not see a lot of guys out there. And you know what that is? O-linemen. That's why when the can how about this? Kansas City Chiefs may have had the best offseason because they got Orlando Brown. They plug him in, they lose both their tackles in the offseason, but then they put a perennial pro bowler in. He's probably the second best OT next to Trent Williams, who's in San Francisco. And you plug him in, and guess what? Wham! You're protecting the flank of a $500 million guy in Patrick Mahomes. Is that not good? Plus, he's a key, you know he can play. You know, I heard all these guys saying, hey man, this guy here, man. Penny Sewell, he's fantastic. He was at Oregon, but will he be in the NFL with the Lions? Yet to be determined. How many times have we seen guys come out of college that were projected left offensive tackles turn out to be guards? You have to understand, when you see that move and you see guys that were projected to be your left OT and you draft them high up in the draft and you see them as a guard, that's a bust. You overpaid for the guy. You don't over... You don't pay that kind of money for a guard. How many guards have you ever seen go in the top 10? You're looking for a left OT to protect your major asset, which is your starting quarterback. Look, you can't have a $35 million quarterback and a $2 offensive line. It's just not going to cut it. And so how you work in through free agency is going to be how you look at the things you do in the draft. Okay, I get a left OT. Maybe now this gives me an opportunity to go out and get a wide receiver because I went out and I addressed my need in the O-line. you got to protect your quarterback, and you got to try to get a run game going. Or maybe on the other side, you invest in a defensive tackle. Maybe you can get a linebacker now. Or maybe you can get an outside corner. Maybe you can get a free safety. Free safeties and strong safeties, not really high on my priority when it comes to filling a need on a football team because most of the time they're overpriced. You can find any of, those, uh, any of those guys out there. Wide receivers is another case when it comes to overpaying for dudes. It's the most relied upon position in the NFL wideouts. Man, how many times have we seen Super Bowls won with no-name wideouts? And, I mean, look at, look at Carolina a couple of years back with, with Cam Newton. I mean, can you name me a wide receiver that was on that team, right? I mean, can you? I mean, right? There's not very many. Tight end? Running game and Cam, that's all that team had offensively, but they had a good old line 
in a good D-line. Let me tell you before we get into how I'm going to look at, you know, what team got better in the offseason. By the way, we're going to catch up hopefully with our friends here because today is a big day when it comes to everybody talking to everybody and how they saw the draft over the weekend, the three days of the NFL draft. Hopefully we're going to catch up with our friend Howard Balzer. Now, you got to know something about Howard. Howard was a guy who was with Paul Zimmerman and Chris Berman back in the day when they first started the draft on TV. He was in it, and he's been with Sports Illustrated for a long time. So we'll get his thoughts when it comes to the NFL draft, how he saw it, and again, too, projections. Very difficult to make on a Monday right after the weekend of the NFL draft because I've said this before to you, these guys don't own a helmet. They haven't even been to their rookie camp yet. They haven't even taken their physical yet. Most of them have showed up to the facilities, but, you know, they're just going through all the dancing and all the celebrating now that they're part of the new organization. Then they'll get down to getting their playbooks. They'll talk to their coaches. Also, Bill Romanowski, the owner of four Super Bowl championships, will join us a little bit later on in the pro in the program. Let me throw this out at you here. Let me tell you how the fastest way to have failure with all these teams that made picks. I'm going to give you my, for instance, and by the way, I'm not going to sit here and give excuses on why I failed. I'll tell you the bad part of it, okay? I was immature. Um, I didn't understand how to be a pro, fastest way out the door. So just so you know, I'm giving you a personal understanding of my journey here. And why I failed, okay? Had nothing to do with ability. Had everything to do with this thing right here. It's funny. You know, the number one muscle in your body, you know, your, your, your heart, you think? No, it's this thing up here. And it, sometimes it's the most least used thing, right? Everything else, hey, man, I was a 535-pound bencher. I ran four eights. I had a 27 vertical. I was 288 pounds. Back in the day with Jerome Brown, me and him were running mates. You know, we're the highest drafted tandem at the University of Miami, and we started it all there before Russell Maryland, Warren Sapp, all that. It was me and him. I was drafted 56. He was drafted ninth. And we were a pair of defensive tackles for Jimmy Johnson at the University of Miami. So it wasn't anything to do with ability. Let me show you what happened here. And a lot of these kids that got drafted. Now, I do think this. I think the NFL personnel people are getting better at doing this more homework, jumping through more hoops, more intel, more understanding of the kid on who they're going after. And I think they're doing a better job at communicating with the kid, with the assistant coaches, and with the agents. That's why you're seeing less of these guys fail once they get to the NFL. Here, back in the day, they would just draft you no matter what. You know, that best player available comment, and any guy that said that, let me tell you what he's doing. Best talent available, well, does he know how to play a 34? Say you're in a 3-4 defense. No, he's a 4-3 end. Do you know how many guys back in my time would still draft that guy, even though he not, he's never played in your scheme? But how many times have we seen this in any business? You know, in the broadcast business, people hire people to change people. And then the only thing you end up doing is changing yourself. And then you change the guy into something he's not. And then before you know it, you're looking at the guy going, he sucks. Well, he, he was never that guy when you drafted him. 
He was a whole different dude when he was in college. But you thought you could like take him and coach him into a different position. That's the fastest remedy to to failure. That's why a lot of the guys today in the personnel departments, I think they're getting it right. You see very little except for the quarterback position because it's the hardest position to evaluate for whatever reason. I think it's because they start with athleticism. And anytime you start with athleticism at that position, look at the quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls. Tom Brady, really think that guy was an athlete when you saw that picture of him at his NFL draft combine? Did you see that thing? Holy cow, man. That guy looked like the worst athlete ever to show up to Indianapolis. How about Peyton Manning? You really think that guy was a superstar athlete? Or Terry Bradshaw or any of those drop-pack quarterbacks? You think Dan Marino was a 40-yard dash guy? None of those guys were where you started with athletic. How about this? Are they athletes? Yes, there's a differentiation between them two. Athlete and athletic, okay? The quarterbacks I mentioned aren't athletic. They're athletes, and they're very smart at being able to understand. So circling back here, the number one thing for me is did the kid go to the right place? Did he go to the right program? Did he get an opportunity to really understand, okay, what this organization is looking at once they get you there? We'll take a look at those, and we're going to go down the list, and we're going to start in the AFC East, and we'll get to that here in a second. But I also want to throw this out. What did I tell you on Friday? What was the conference that was going to just absolutely dominate? 65 dudes from the Southeastern Conference were drafted into the NFL's draft. 65 dudes. Every year, the Southeastern Conference produces the best talent for the National Football League. It's a factory. They play the best. They have the best coaching. They have the best fans. They have the best facilities. They have the best TV programs. They have the best television network. That's why CBS has the gigantic TV deal with them. It's one of their biggest properties that they have is the SEC. Why do you think Nick Saban makes $11 million a year? Or a guy in Texas A&M, Dumbo Fisher, makes $7.5 million a year. I know that's a Florida State, Miami thing, so I still hold it against him, even though he's in uh, College Station. So just bear with me there on that. Dumbo's a pretty good coach, though. He, he is. He's a pretty good coach, and he's doing – a little bit better there at AM than I thought he was going to do. But uh, the SEC, man, come on. It's like the premier league of college football. You know, I love when I hear other networks having to pimp their conference. Like, you'll always hear Fox going, oh, my God, the Big Ten is – the Big Ten sucks. Seriously, Michigan's a joke, okay? Jim Harbaugh, you really think that guy is producing superstar offensive guys? The guys coming out of Michigan today are defensive dudes. They're not offensive guys. Everyone was under the assumption that Jim Harbaugh at Michigan was going to bring all these superstar quarterbacks into Ann Arbor. Ain't happening. As a matter of fact, guys are actually transferring out of there. They look at some of the other programs there. Penn State, they stunk a year ago. As much as I love that program and as much as I love what they're doing there at Happy Valley, to me, that football program – had a step back. Wisconsin, okay, they're good. But good is not great like the Southeastern Conference. 
It's just not. SEC football is remarkably great. Um, they're producing the best skilled guys in the league, and they're producing the most important dudes in the league. And you know what that is? That is the O-line and D-line. Urban Meyer learned a great lesson when he went from Utah to Florida. He, knew, he started seeing why the SEC is great. You know why the SEC is great? Speed and size. I mean, look at those D-line and O-line that come out of that program. They're stars. You go in these other conferences, they're dogs. So if you're going to, you know, I, I would say this to you. If you were a general manager or you're a personnel director, you could not go wrong, and nor would you lose your job if every single guy you drafted came out of the Southeastern Conference. You know, when you hear people say in high school, when they're high school recruiting and whatever, you hear people talking like that, and you go like this. Okay, well, um, you know, we're 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 going to take this five star kid. Well, in Florida, Texas, and in Pennsylvania, those kids may be three star because the the bar is higher in those states. California has kind of walked back because of COVID, and COVID has had a factor when it came to recruiting. Where I'm going with all this. Looking at the NFL draft over the last 10 years, where are you going, man? Why would you go anywhere else other than SEC? If I need an O-line or D-lineman, you think I'm going to the Big 12? I'm not going to the Big 12. I'm going to the Southeastern Conference. Like I said, it's the premier league of, the, of, of college football, man. All right, let's go over here. Let's take a look at some of this. And where I'm going to go here with you guys, I'm going to take a look at – the teams that got better. Bottom of the hour, we'll look at teams that address needs in the NFL draft. So it's kind of a little bit of a different spin on how we're going to look at it. But some of these teams in the offseason, this combines this too. When, when I tell you this, this combines, this combines free agency and also the draft. Because listen, I swear to you guys, if you listen to anything I say here, you can't just go like this. Well, the Cardinals had a great draft, you know, for the three days over. How do you know that? How do you know that? Can, do you know any of these dudes that they drafted? Hardcore dudes do. But even bringing them in, how are they going to have that transition? And I'm going to tell you one more time here. My transition, before I get to who got better, let me tell you how it went. So – the Buccaneers draft me. I have, I play three technique, which is you don't line up directly on the guard. Okay. You line up like if the guy's in front of you here and he's head up here, you go to the shade and that's a three on his outside shoulder. A one is to the inside, closer to the center. You line up like this. We never lined up head up. That's a zero technique. So if you're here, it's a three. If you're closer to the center, into the A-gap, that is more of a one technique. And when I was at UM, Jerome Brown played usually a one or a three, and we would slide to defense, okay, which meant I had one gap of responsibilities. This plays into the kids that were drafted today, and I'm going to make a point to you because it's where you're drafted that matters, okay, it's where you're drafted. 
not in the pick, not in the round, but who took you? What scheme do they run? Do they run a 34? Do they run a 43? Do they run a Tampa 2? Do they run a 52? Do they run a, a wide tackle 6? That's old school stuff. That really doesn't pertain, but those old 52 defenses are like the old Buddy Ryan defenses. Okay, it's kind of the version of the 52. So the 52 defense is kind of like that, okay? And so they kind of don't have that. You have to have really great linebackers like Mike Singletary and great defensive linemen like Dan Hampton to run those defenses. So I played those my entire – my last year at Miami, I had 91 tackles, seven sacks. I led the team in tackles for losses. I was third in sacks, okay? Had the most solo tackles, 50 of anybody, and that's Jerome Brown and other first-round draft choices. Cortez Kennedy was on that team. Russell Maryland was on that team. I played every one of them. So the Buccaneers call me, and they do this. Dan, how'd you like to be a Buck? I'm like, this is fantastic. I get to stay in the state of Florida. This is wonderful. Fantastic. Okay? I'm there. You know, Leroy Selman had just retired, and this was phenomenal, man. I was like, great. So I get there, Ray Perkins and all those guys, they bring me in, and Rich McKay, who's now the president of the Atlanta Falcons, they bring me in, and they go like this, we're going to have you play nose guard. And I said, well, okay. I wish they kind of would have told me that before they took me because I would have told them flat out, I've never played that position. Let me give you a – let me give you kind of a comparison – it's like driving a car in England and the steering wheel's on the right side. You know how to drive the car, but there's everything's different. The feet, how you push the gas pedal down, how you push the brake down, how you make turns, simplest things, turns. Do I need to go wider? Man, everything's like really weird over here. And you're like out of place, which what does that mean when you're out of place? Well, that means you're slow and you're hesitant. And when you're slow and you're hesitant in that league, you're beat every play. So once I got to playing nose guard, I had no idea about technique. You know, in college, I could kill guys because of my strength and my power. In the NFL, everybody's got strength and power. And you need to understand that. When you get to the NFL, hey, when people say this guy's the strongest guy on his team, well, guess what? In the NFL, that doesn't really matter. I'm a 500-pound bencher in college. Hell, there's five guys on the NFL team that I was on with the Buccaneers that were 500-pound benchers. What? And you know what? Like I always tell people, you're in the NFL. Everyone's big, fast, and strong. So if you think in college you can kill guys, you can. In the NFL, it's technique. And boy, did I learn that as fast as I possibly could. Man, I got into football games against guys like Ray Donaldson and guys like Bruce Matthews, Hall of Famers like Mike Munchak. And these guys were just shaking change out of me. And what I mean by that is, man, they were using head fakes. They were using arm rips. They were doing everything on me. And I had never seen anything like that. So today, I think the personnel people, like I said, are doing just a phenomenal job at just doing this. Does this guy fit what we're doing? Okay. That guy, Mika Parsons, who ended up going to Dallas, for instance. Okay. They got another dude on that team that kind of like resembles him. And that's Jalen Smith. 
So are you going to jettison Jalen Smith because he makes too much money, even though he's a salary cap hit to your cap if you jettison that guy? I mean, that's also a parameter in how you have to look at guys. This kid Parsons from Penn State that they took, well, you know what? Is he a good player? But he kind of is a duplicate player that they drafted. You see, I think the Cowboys got caught with their draws down. And by the way, I mean, they, they were wanting DBs. And then the second pick they got, they reached for this kid. I don't know. It looked like the Cowboys got caught a little bit when it came to the type of player they were looking. They needed cornerback help. Okay? They need secondary help. They need to stop the run. I get it because we saw what the Browns did to them. They trucked them for over 300 yards in that game at Jerry's World. I get it. So they needed to figure out how they were going to be able to stop the run. Totally get that. Totally understand that. But for them to be able to just all of a sudden kind of drop the ball, go linebacker, they need an edge rusher. Are you going to make this kid an edge rusher? Are you going to put his hand in the dirt? Are you going to keep him up? The other proper defense, Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator there, boy, I'll tell you, man, I mean, okay, you got a big project there. Are you going back to a 43 or a 34? You know, you were missing around, you know, last year with a 34 with 43 personnel. I mean, it just seemed really chaotic in Dallas last year. So are they going to get stability? The pick tells me that they're going to go back to a 34, and that's kind of what Dan Quinn was all about. If you remember Dan Quinn's background, Dan Quinn is a guy who was up with Pete Carroll up in Seattle, and they built the Legion of Boom. And when they built the Legion of Boom, they were able to, you know, uh, build that team. The reason they built that team, folks, the secret is they didn't have to pay Russell Wilson or anybody any giant money. So they were able to spend big money on the defensive side of the football. That's the real trick, too, is when you're building a football team and you're not having to spend a lot of money on your quarterback like the Bills. That's a great position right now the Bills are in. you got Josh Allen right now. You're not paying him anything but a rookie contract. You're not paying him gigantic money. You'll end up extending him and picking up that option. However, Man, the teams that have had great success over the last couple of years were the guys that found dudes that they weren't paying big money to, a.k.a. Tom Brady. Look at the Patriots and all the latitude he gave them. You had a six-round quarterback that you had on your football team. And remember something, this was all on the heels of Bob Kraft and you know Bill Belichick giving Drew Bledsoe $114 million with an $18 million signing bonus. How would you like to do this? So you got to walk in and you're and you're Bill Belichick and you got to do this. Hey, Bob, you know, I know we gave that dude 18 million dollars, but I'm going with the six rounder Brady or something about the kid. Brady's on a six round contract. The latitude that he gave them for five years is incredible for them to be able to go out and spend no money. And so Kraft goes, Jesus, who do you want to trade him to? Oh, Buffalo. Come again. We're going to trade him into the division, and I just gave him $18 million? And, yeah, uh, turned out to be cool. Turned out to be okay, right? That was a very controversial move, man. It was a very controversial move. Here's $18 million on a $100 million contract. Oh, and we're going to trade you to the Bills. What? I'm not trading anybody to anybody in my division. Think I want to see that guy a couple times come down and beat my ass like that? Absolutely not. Or how about Russell Wilson? Remember that guy, Matt Flynn, who was a backup quarterback in Green Bay? Had one game, okay? And Joe Philbin was like the quarterback coach up there. 
and the Dolphins were looking for a quarterback, he knew better not to even take him. Okay? None of them. Okay? None of them. So I, I look at it like this, and I go, okay, so he ends up going to Seattle. Seattle gave him $18 million. $18 million bucks. And then you know what? Pete Carroll went to Paul Allen, the owner of the Seahawks. You know this dude we drafted in the third round? This guy we drafted in the third round was unbelievable during the exhibition season. I'm going with Russell Wilson. He ends up going with Russell Wilson. And they had all that latitude. Okay, they had all that latitude to sit there and, and build their football team. That's the real key to this. Once you have these kids, these rookies, on these rookie contracts, it's so imperative that you figure out if these quarterbacks can play today. That's why when I hear the 49ers going like this, well, he's a project. You're not going to know if Trey Lance can play in San Francisco for the next two years. By the time this guy can play, you're going to have to decide whether or not to keep him on your football team or pick up his option. And if Jimmy Garoppolo plays great up there, you wasted a first round. And not only that, but you wasted the third pick in the draft to sit around and figure out if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be your guy. I saw John Lynch make the comment today that, um, make no mistake about it, that they wanted to keep him at all times. All right. I could not wait to get my friend on here. And he is the head football coach of the Oregon Ducks. And I got to tell you something, folks. His family is spectacular. His brother I played with at Miami. Mario played at Miami. And the legendary coaches that he's been around, Dennis Erickson, Jimmy Johnson, Nick Saban, has led him to this moment here. And we bring him up here now with us, Mario Cristobal, the head coach of the Ducks. Brother, I first want to say congratulations on a spectacular year last year. And I'll, I'm going to do something that's so cardinal sin against me. I don't want anyone to hear it too loud. Go Ducks, dude. You're killing <laughs> it up there. You're killing it, man. Welcome aboard, Mario. <laughs> Dan, it's great to see you, brother. Thanks for having me. Dude, man, I mean, let's start it off here. Um, I'm seeing your guys all over, and they're all over the draft, man. You have to be so proud of the program that you're putting together now that the NFL is looking at your program as a place to go find talent. Well, I, I tell you what, we uh, we're blessed with an awesome administration. And then this coaching staff that was put together, uh, they're just, they remind, they remind me of the guys that we used to play for. Remember those guys there, you sent a picture the other day. They're, they're pretty good. Right. And <laughs> what was the secret sauce. So Dan, the secret sauce was the guys downstairs, in the locker room, right? Um, talented, hungry, driven, motivated, self-starters. And we have been fortunate enough to, to have just a slew of those guys coming in here, three straight top uh, top recruiting classes in the Pac-12, uh, three straight top 10 recruiting classes, and it's, it's just getting started. We have 80, I believe we counted yesterday, 80 freshmen, redshirt freshmen or sophomore on this team and just won a Pac-12 title with that. And... We know our best football is ahead of us, so we're, we're excited as can be. How much did last year during the COVID protocols and all that and the stoppage and, you know, you and I have talked about this before. 
Mario, I would think that your assistant coaches and yourself and the organization and the program, that's the kind of thing that can galvanize a program. And, you know, we're rowing in the same boat. We're all in this thing together. You got a chance maybe to know each other a little bit better. I always thought, Mario, that that was one of the keys to our success was that, I mean, I posted a, I don't know if you saw the video of me and Jerome and all that I posted. And I'm like, the first comment I got from people were, man, you guys look like you really enjoyed playing with one another. You really enjoyed one another. And I said, man, that was the secret in the room with us is that we respected one another and we loved one another. I'm starting to see that with you guys. Yeah, I tell you, it was a really major part of our success in 2019. I, and you could tell in the summer going in, man, when you see offensive linemen hanging out with DBs, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> 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 it's interesting, man, what's going on here? It's, uh, and it carried over to a great season and a Rose Bowl championship and a Pac-12 championship. And we felt that momentum building going into the pandemic. The pandemic made it difficult on everybody because here's a great example. The freshman that came in, they never had a single like team function or event that they could get to know all the guys at. You had to split the squad in half so the offensive guys really inter interact with the defensive guys. When they got here, they could never be in the locker room at the same time. It was a test of all tests. And I think I, I think a lot of guys managed to help galvanize the team and other guys really were affected by it. And you could tell. I mean, it showed itself. And, and I think we all learned from it. So now that we just had spring ball, brother, this was like Christmas every single day around here, being able to get together with these guys and just slide it up. And we just had the spring game in the stadium on Saturday. And it looked like game day, let's just say that. They were splattering each other all over the place, competing, talking all kinds of mess. <laughs> you know what I love too, Mario? You know, spring games, it reminds me of Jimmy Johnson's spring games and you know, I can, and I see and I hear everyone that I've ever talked to that has played for you or is at that program now. And the number one thing that I remember with Jimmy was we are going to walk to get water at game tempo. We're going to walk to drills at game tempo. We're going to lift at game tempo. We're going to do everything at game tempo. And I used to ask Coach this, why, why, why do we do those things? He goes, well, because when you get into the game, it's going to be second nature to you. If you don't walk into anything doing game tempo, Dan, then guess what? You're going to get in those games. You're going to be down 14 nothing. I see your teams that way too. You know, all the all the guys you've had in your past, Mario, has actually a, they've had to have had a massive influence with you and how you prepare your team, especially when you say what you saw with the spring game. No doubt. I mean, we had a great high school coach, Dennis Lavelle. I mean, he was off the charts. I had our old line coach, may he rest in peace, passed last week, Fred Foyo. Those guys had a huge influence on Coach Mirabal, our old line coach, and myself. And then getting a chance to play for, for Jimmy Johnson and, and for Dennis Erickson, and then having worked for guys like Greg Schiano, having worked for guys like Nick Saban. You just, it, it all comes together, and all the philosophies are so similar. There's so much carryover in each and every one of those blueprints. We just brought it out here, tweaked it a little bit, and then just poured a ton of energy and a ton of enthusiasm into it and a ton of physicality. I mean, if you come out to practice, you're, you're going to see one-on-one, two-on-two, five-on-four, seven-on-seven, run, and then we'll start practice. So yeah. we yeah, my producer's a Bama guy, so he's making sure that I throw that in there to you, too. Mario was there many years with Nick Saban as the old line coach. Speaking of old line, Penesul, give me who he is. Um, I know 
you told me about this dude three years ago. You go like this, Dan. I got a kid up here, man. This guy's an earth mover, man. I mean, his kid is the deal. How good is he? He's the best one I've been around. And, wow. Uh, yeah, he really is. And he's only 20. I mean, he won the Outland Trophy at 19. And he walked in the door at 6'6", 358. He played his first year at, at that. His second year, he played at 335. It just unmatched power, explosiveness, balance and body control, the ability to slide his feet, to anchor, to play with, with pad level, a flat back, second foot in the ground. He just unbelievably accurate with his hands, understands the game like no one I've seen at that age. His football IQ is right through the roof. I mean, he's actually just scratching the surface, Dan. This guy is hes going to play. Not only is he going to play at a high level, he's going to play for a long, long, long time. And the best part about it is that his brother is a freshman linebacker on our team, and he's going to be just as good of a player, if not better. Dude, that's great to hear. A couple last questions for Mario Cristobal, the head coach of the Oregon Ducks here. How has recruited, recruiting going with the pandemic, the winning, everything, and just put it into a synopsis for us here, Mario, and how since you arrived there and took over the program from Willie Tiger, how this program has just leaped. I mean, it's leaped into the national conscience more so than before. I mean, look, it was good with Chip. I get it. But we're – where you're better now, and this program just seemingly is just taking it up to another notch. You know, we're just um, very humble, hungry, and driven approach. The recruiting classes have stocked up. They've piled up pretty well, but also the strength condition department, where we have five full-time guys and a slew of interns and GAs. I mean, you have eyes on everybody. And the way that we train, it'll take you back. It'll take you back to the old school ways that we trained. And there is no compromising that. And around here, you know, football practice, spring practice, it's not just passing the time. Here it's important. We're going we're gonna to get after it. You know, we're going to be a physical operation. We're going to be smart. We're going to be a physical operation. And what happens is these older guys, now that they've been through it, they know we do things a certain way, they've done an incredible job. I mean, uh, an unbelievable job of taking these young guys underneath their wings and saying, this is the way we do it. And – that's the way it's going to be done. There's no compromise. And anyone that doesn't uphold the standards of the culture, they just it doesn't fit. So the culture is strong. We still have a ways to go to where we want to be. But, man, we've made up so much ground and, and gained so much ground in the process. Um, and the trajectory right now is just, boom, sky's the limit. And we're, we're as excited as we can be, Dan. How good are you going to be this coming year? <laughs> That's always a trick question. We feel we feel strong about the type of team and program that we're going to have this year going forward. We're really excited. <laughs> you see why that's such a lame answer, and I'm going to tell you why, because that is, that is not like where he's raised. He's raised a cane. Someone asked me, I would say something like this. You ready? Well, okay, here, I'll show you. Here's my schedule. This is roadkill. This is roadkill. Hey, George Meyer, you better – you better buckle up because I'm running around every tackle I can, and I'm getting in the backfield because that's a TV. That's a TV game. That's a TV game. Oh, and by the way, I think we'll beat that team by 45. <laughs> Here's Mario. I think we'll be very good. <laughs> I remember walking in that locker room, and I called my high school coach right away and said, Coach, 
I am in a different world. And I remember calling back a year later and saying, this is the best world I could ever be a part of. <laughs> hey, hey, before I let you go, I, I become friends with The Rock and I saw him portray you on The Rock. And Young Rock, he's got this new TV show. And he he walked, he goes like this. He goes, Yeah, I walked by Mario. Mario looked at me like this. He's just new me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, craziness. We had um we're blessed to have been a part of that, brother. That is like that is like no era, no team that, you know, and we all know. We all know what went into that and all the work and how much we learned from you guys, from yourself, from your teammates, and how important it was to uphold the standards of that legacy. And that is, and that that kind of stuff is what drives programs in history. That's right, man. And I think you're making history there in Oregon. Pac-12 champions, Rose Bowl champions. Mario, I can't be any more proud to watch what you do. And I'm such a fan of yours, man. I know that playing for you um, must be just absolutely sensational for those kids up there, man. I can't thank you enough, brother, for taking time for me. I know that you are constantly recruiting. You're out there looking for the next horses to come in there and the next DTs and the next offensive lineman to come in there to take over for Panay. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, man. Much I love. Yeah, young Dan Silio. I need me a big old three technique to knock <laughs> some dudes back, brother. Find me one. <laughs> I tried last year, man. I did, man. All good, man. That is Mario Cristobal, the head football coach. And yeah, man, he, he has built such a great program at Oregon. Oh my God. He has. And, and and when you think of the Pac-12 now, what's crazy about that is when you think of the Pac-12, okay, do you really think of Southern Cal now? Do you think of Washington? Maybe a little bit still Washington. But you know what? Really the two programs that have really taken off have been Oregon and Utah. Those programs have just taken off because – I'm friends with Kyle Winningham, too, the head coach of Utah, and I love that guy, and he's done a spectacular job. All right, we're going to take a time out here, and we're going to have Howard Balzer with us, and we're going to talk with him on how he saw the NFL draft. You keep it right here with Big Sills on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Having a good time? Big Seals here. National Football Show. Great catching up with Mario Cristobal, the head football coach of the Oregon Ducks. I love what I heard about Panay Sula, who ended up going in the top five to the Detroit Lions. And look, there's no question he was the top and number one prospect that was on the board. But see, when you're coached by a guy like that, see, when you're when you're coming out of high school, nowadays what kids are looking at. They're not looking at like the logos anymore that are on the helmets. They're looking at the coaching. Okay. They're looking at the coaching right now on what those kids are going to get and the type of progression that they're going to be able to get. Once you get an opportunity to go to these schools, you want to be coached by the best coaches in the country. That's why the majority of these guys are without a doubt. The majority of these guys are all looking to go to the Southeastern Conference. I told you, the SEC, in my opinion, um, is a guy that, you know, you go there and you're you're going to get the best coaching that you possibly can get because the Southeastern Conference, folks, has the best coaches. You know, the average assistant coaches, okay, those guys there are making $1.2 million dollars. Okay, as coordinators, do you know what the two? Okay, do you know what the two coordinators at Alabama make? I know my boy Krause will love this. Okay, he'll love this. They're making like one point five million bucks. Like when 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 you look at some of these guys that are making two million dollars a year as coordinators, like at Clemson or at Alabama, and you get some of these job offers to go coach, like say Vanderbilt, where you get an opportunity to go coach someone else. You're not going to take that gig. You're going to get the best available job. That's why when Steve Sarkeesian was looking for a gig, he wasn't just going to take any job again. You know, he goes from Southern Cal. He gets the opportunity to be the OC because Nick Saban's got this rehab center. And by the way, I think it's awesome what he does by bringing guys like, uh, you know, people who have had some issues on the coaching ranks. And he brings those dudes into his organization I think it's fantastic on what they're able to do there at Alabama. And those guys make a boatload of money. So when the Texas gig came up, Sarkeesian was like, yeah, that that's, 
that's good for me here, man. And we bring in one of my dearest friends and one of my longest friends. And let me tell you guys, let me give you guys a little history here of Howard Balzer here. So, like, back when I used to sit in college and I'm watching the NFL draft and I see Balzer and I see Paul Zimmerman and I see Chris Berman on ESPN, there's Howard there breaking all these dudes down. I mean, guys, the, the job that you see at the NFL Network, Howard did it by himself. Well, now they got 50 guys that are doing it. Howard used to do this by himself, and look where it is today. Howard Balzer from Sports Illustrated joins us now. How you doing, brother? Damn, man, I'm I'm doing great, doing great. I know we've talked about this before, but, wow, 41 years ago for the 1981 draft. I don't know. You, you don't have the gray hair yet like me, but uh, I'm okay with it. I'm okay. <laughs> Dude, can you believe how fat can you believe how far it's come and no. how big this is today when it's a production it's i mean they, they now are selling like you know cities the opportunity to host this thing can you believe it Howard? i mean you guys were doing it in the studio in bristol we yeah i was in the studio of course the uh, the main group was in whatever hotel it was at the time i think it was Marriott. New, yeah and that was later i think the first few were at the new york sheraton huh and small little tables. I know sometimes when they play some of the old clips, and I know they use some of the things as part of that Elway to Marino from 1983. And here I am with Paul Zimmerman and George Grant sitting at this little, oh, oh, just like a picnic table almost with a you know with a cover on it. It was just a small little table. Now, of course, they've got the you know the technological sets and all that, and it's been like that for a while, obviously. But boy, you know it's kind of you know it's kind of like dance when you watch these. I don't even know if ESPN Classic is on anymore, but when you used to watch the old ba basketball games and the guys had the white socks up to their knees yeah. <laughs> and the short shorts, I mean, that's not technology, but it just shows how, how much things have changed since. And it's, it seems like a long time ago, but I'll tell you, when you say 1980, it doesn't sound like that long ago, but that's obviously it's more than 40 years. Absolutely. Howard, let me throw this at you here too. Um, you know, I tell people, and tell me if you think I'm on the right lane here where, where I'm going with this. You know, I always get asked grades on Monday. I'm like, oh, I'm not <laughs> well, giving anything <laughs> because these guys don't even own helmets yet. I mean, they're not even gone through physicals. But how I address it is this. Did a team address needs? Did they fill a need? Are they going to be able to plug in a kid? And sometimes, Howard, you, I think sometimes guys like me and you see this, so you draft a 34 linebacker to play in a 43 defense. That traditionally doesn't play out. No. Is that how you see the NFL draft as well? Absolutely. 100%. I think the grades are crazy. Obviously, the grade at the day after. And like you said, when I look at it, I'll say, okay, this team, look at the players they got. And everyone's arguing, oh, well, he was taken too early. I don't know what they saw that I didn't see. Well, you know, the teams have a – I think the teams are privy to a little bit more information than we are, but the reality is not all of these guys are going to work out, and that I think that drives the narrative, and I think it's what drives the draft, Dan, is that all, all the different pe people out there think that they can draft just as good as the teams can. Uh, we know there's so many factors that go into when, how good a player becomes, and it's not only his ability, it's how does he take to being a pro, how does he fit with the team, like you said, fit with a scheme, all those things, and, that, and that's how teams draft. I mean, those who analyze players, and they all do a good job, they're analyzing the player, what I like to say, is in a vacuum. It's just the player. 
but they're not analyzing it how the Raiders might view him differently than the 49ers or different than the Eagles, whoever it might be. Those teams look at their coaching staff, their schemes, their fits, and hopefully pick the guys that will fit it better. Giving a grade right after one of the analogies I've always said that, you know, we all went to school. And I've always said, so you, you go to, you, you have your semester of class or whatever it is, and then you got the final. And the teacher kind of has in the teacher's mind how the students have done through the semester, quizzes, tests in class, all that. They have a, a view, a perception of what they think that student is. Then they have the final, they give it out, it's handed in, and then those teachers then decide to grade it without even looking at the test. They just do it on what they think that student will do. That's as absurd as someone grading a draft the day after. Go back three or four years later, and then you can really grade it. And a big part of it too, Dan, is that let's just say from the fourth round on, there's no one who has a clue who are going to be the players that have an impact on their team and a pretty positive impact. A lot of times those are the guys that really make a a draft and help a team because of the depth that you have on the roster and getting a guy at a low contract for four years. You know, I, I, we had Jimmy Johnson on with us last week, and I asked him how important free agency is today compared to when he was there. Back when I played 37-year-old free agents, now they're 27-year-old free agents, and now you're getting players with still some gas in the tank to plug holes, and then you bring in your core group of guys that are in your NFL draft. So my question where I'm going with this is, instead of asking who had the best draft, I'm going to ask you, what teams do you think had the best offseason so far? No, that, that, that's a great question because the other thing that isn't taken into account sometimes even with that is we'll see a team like sign all these free agents and some overpaying for some. But then how many times does someone look at the players that have been – that were re-signed that they kept from leaving to go somewhere? And how many players did a team lose? I mean, how many of those new guys did they sign were because they lost somebody? And now all of a sudden – You've lost a player who knows your system and knows your team, and now you're bringing in a guy from the outside and hoping that he fits this. He fits the in the locker room and is as good learning new players. And so, when you when you look at it, be honest, Dan, I haven't <clears throat> I haven't looked at it that closely yet. I, I have a whole compile. <clears throat> excuse me, I have a whole compiled list of all the additions and, and subtractions uh, the teams have. But I'll tell you one thing: the teams that signed the most players like the Raiders seem to do every year, and the Texans have done this year, I've always felt those teams don't do well, especially in free agency, because they're making, they're making too many changes on the roster, and you just can't have that much continuity. And so it's the key signings here and there, I think, uh, that make, make the big difference. So, you know, we've seen good – I'll tell you, I'm in Arizona now, and I think the Cardinals have had a really good – off season, they signed a whole bunch of thirty-something guys, but for one or two-year contracts, and feel that those are the guys that can fill their needs, like J.J. Watt, like A.J. Green, like Malcolm Butler, like James Conner. Uh, all these guys were on one-year contracts, except for J.J. Watt. So I thought they did a good job with their needs. Then in the draft, they felt they could go for the best player available. And that's what they thought they got it with the linebackers, Zayvon Collins in the first round and Rondale Moore on the second. And the one need that they, that they had was in the secondary, especially a corner. And they drafted a couple of guys in the fourth and sixth round that they believe will come in and compete. Now, will they? 
<laughs> that's the unknown right now. But if they do, I think the Cardinals have made some some really good moves. I think the 49ers ha- have made some very good ones, whether it's the draft or free agency. They didn't go crazy in free agency, but they signed uh, some key guys. So there's a couple that, uh, that I think of off the top of my head. You know, to me, and I, and I, and I agree 100% with what you said, Howard. I mean, when you get like mercenary signings, traditionally those things never pan out. Look at New York, the Giants. The, the two previous years ago when they signed all them mercenary guys, or even Philadelphia when they got the awesome, uh, not the awesome oh, yeah. boss. And the dream the team. Dogs. The dream team, they called it. Yeah, the dream yeah. team, they called it. That, that stuff just blew no. up in their face. And then I turn around, I look at the Buccaneers. They sign oh. all 22 dudes. They get, And here's the other key component to this, Howard. They get both coordinators back, too. Usually those dudes that win Super Bowls right. get opportunities to go and coach um, you know, their own castle – so they get the coordinators back. They get the 22 back. You know, I know they got Kyle Trask. You know, that's supposedly maybe going to be the baton passing from Brady to the Gator kid. But, man, I look at the Bucks. I really don't care what they did in the draft. I think they won the offseason by just bringing all them dudes back. That's a great point. They have all 22 starters. I mean, they all weren't free agents, but a big number of them were. And like you said, they got them all. They have them all re-signed. Antonio Brown wasn't even one of those 22 starters, but they brought him back for more depth at the receiver uh, position. Anytime you can do that, that's that, that's that's pretty impressive. And sometimes you you mentioned it, it's so true with the coaching staffs because so often we see that instability in teams, and especially with young quarterbacks, where all of a sudden you bring in you have a young quarterback and then team doesn't play well right out the box and maybe they fire the coach and now it's a new coordinator or the coordinator goes on to a new team and now the young quarterback has to learn another new system that's that that's pretty difficult and so what we saw with the bucks obviously is they kept them and it's good to be in the super bowl in that respect aside from how great it is because most of the time you don't lose one of your coordinators because teams don't want to wait that long to hire somebody. And so there uh, they, they keep those guys. They have that continuity. And we saw with that Buccaneers team, they really didn't hit their stride offensively until the last quarter or so of the season. I mean, they were seven and five. After yeah, after the games. Bears game, they probably really kicked it into gear after yeah. that Bears loss, right? On yeah, that they had, night. yeah, they had a big loss and then they had a bye and they kind of got their act together. They were seven and five and they didn't lose again the rest of the season. So that, that was big for them. And now obviously they feel they can pick up where they left off and perhaps have a repeat that that's never, re- and that's the thing. Everyone's going to be expecting them to now, Oh, they keep their whole team together. They're going to win it all. Well, it doesn't, it's not that easy. We all know, but they certainly have a heck of a shot at it. And especially with the culture that they have in that locker room right now, which is a very strong one. Last question for you. I know yeah, Howard's a Hall of Fame voter too, folks, in case you didn't know. Putting Alex Karras in, I mean, I was so thrilled to death to see him get in. One of the great defensive tackles of all time going into the Hall of Fame. How'd you feel about him going in? I, I thought it was great that he got in. I, I liked a lot what they did in the Centennial class. You know, they cleaned it up a little bit. There's still, Dan, if you saw, if fans out there and people saw the list of all the guys in the seniors group, that have been overlooked for years and years and years that you'd, you'd be stunned. So yeah, I was glad for Alex Karras. I don't know how many people, I'm going to say this. I don't know how many people got a chance to watch the enshrinement special that they had right after the draft, which featured nine posthumous members, eight from the Centennial class and one Bill Nunn from the 2021 20, class. What, what a, a, 
a show it was an hour and a half and they had the families of these guys up there emotional unbelievable for people who didn't see it you know check out nfl network i'm sure they'll run it again and that shows on espn2 uh, tomorrow tuesday night i believe at eight o'clock eastern they're going to run it again on espn2 and you know pe some people haven't even heard of some of these players but it's a great history lesson especially the, the players who were like a Duke Slater who played in the 20s and was one of the few African-Americans in the National Football League at that time before they banned them in the 30s and they didn't get, come back into the league until the late 40s. But, you know, some of, the, some of these guys were great. Now, Alex Karras, people heard of, he played a little bit later, but guys that were in the 30s, uh, Bobby Dillon who played in the 50s, most people don't know these guys, but seeing the film clips of them, it, it, I, it, it was a very impressive night. And I would, like I said, I would urge people out there to watch that show because as David Baker, the president of the hall of fame always says, these are the guys that today's players owe an awful lot to in terms of the riches and all those things. It was on their backs that this game was built. And so with the guys like Alex Karras, I think it was great uh, that he was, that he was able to get in. I think it's great that we were able to get you in today here, Howard. I love catching up with you, man. You're a historian, you're a hall of fame voter. You do such a great job, and you've done it your entire career. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you doing this. My pleasure, Dan. Anytime. You know I always enjoy coming on with you. Take care. You got it. Howard Balzer from Sports Illustrated, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. We're going to take a timeout. I got to hit on Aaron Rodgers and what's going on. Is he going to retire and become the permanent host of Jeopardy? A quarterback. We'll do that here. You keep it right here on the National Football Show. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. D-A-T-L-E-S-E-O! Jody Mack. 
the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Here on the National Football Show with your boy, Big Sills. It is always, always, always a privilege to have you guys on the program here with us. By the way, just got a text message. This goes out to my boy, Krause. Bill Romanowski will join us at the bottom of the hour. So we'll talk to the four-time Super Bowl arm wrestling, no, Super Bowl champion, Bill Romanowski won two of those Super Bowls with the Broncos and two of those Super Bowls with the San Francisco 49ers as a former Eagle. And I believe he is a former Boston College Eagle. I think he's a Boston College guy, too. So we'll talk to Romo. That'll be at the bottom of the hour. I'm going to get into what I wanted to get into in the first hour, and that was, you know, Make, make make no mistake, okay, teams that got better. We just talked um, that with Howard Balzer from Sports Illustrated. It's crazy that Howard's been doing this for so many years. He was like the first dude. And I'm glad to hear him say we have the understanding exactly on how we approach the draft. You're never going to get grades out of me, folks, when it comes to, hey, how do you think the Eagle draft was? I don't know. We'll find out the first exhibition game. We'll find out the first quarter poll of the regular season. Did they address some needs? Yeah, I guess. Okay, yeah. Okay, they, some people love the Devontae Smith move. Some people don't love the Devontae Smith move. I'm just going to tell you flat out, and I said it last week, and I'll say it again to you. So you got a football team where you're a little bit light in, in, in O-line and in D-line, and you're trying to build your football team from the perimeter in, no football team in NFL history has ever been built by the perimeter in. No team. You build your football team from the inside out. That is a fundamental general manager's 101 handbook, chapter one. Don't sign wideouts. If you've got a sorry SO line or D line, where would you, how in the world are you going to get the football to that dude when your O line blows? You can't get it to him. Having a $35 million a year quarterback and you've got a two cent offensive line, how does that make sense? Look at what the Chargers did. They went out, got an O lineman. They found Justin Herbert last year as the next guy. That dude may be actually better. Okay, that dude may actually be better than Dan Fouts and Phillip Rivers. I like his demeanor. I like the whole thing about that dude, man. So when you look at that guy and you see how they built that team, I mean, Howie, really? Outside in. And then... I'm talking to my boy Krause before we come on the air here. We're talking and we're saying, okay, so the offensive lineman, this guy belongs in a mash unit, like on a table, 
in a rehab because of all the injuries? So let me get this right. You sign a 150-pound wideout, and a dude that is like Humpty Dumpty, he's been broken up so many times, I'm not even sure that the Eagles could put this guy back together again, and that is how you start your draft. Okay? You know, I'm critical here, and this guy may go on and play 14 years. And then somebody will come back and go, hey, big sales. That kid was a great center. Okay? He was really great. Okay? 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 I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, goes, okay. He goes like this. He goes, you liked the pick before. And I go, yeah, until I got the medical report. I didn't know anything about the medical report because they addressed the need. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Krause gives me the medical report. Dude, this guy's been, I mean, you know, just to give you like the doctor's report. Here, here it is. Okay. Let me see here. This guy's had like ankle injuries. This guy here is like, he's a manic depressant. I made that one up. Okay. This guy here is like, you know, I mean, like he's afraid to ride home the mom. I made that one up too. <laughs> Two ACLs. Okay, we well usually when you're an old lineman, that kind of matters. Okay. Yeah, he's right. I did. I was like, yeah, they addressed the need. They need old linemen. They need a center. They need a couple guards, and they need a couple tackles. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but the guy, man. I mean, this guy can't eat. How about this? You won't have to worry about him taking knees. <laughs> okay? You won't have to worry about him doing any protests. I don't know if the guy can get down on a knee. All right, let me just do this here. Let's 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 do before I get to how I see some of these teams and how they did this offseason. Let me get to this Aaron Rodgers thing. So now Aaron Rodgers is talking retirement. Hey man, you talk about the King Needler. Oh, do you want to draft this dude Love from Utah State? And let me just tell you this at the uh anniversary you picking that tool who by the way was not active every game last year and why wouldn't he be active he wasn't hurt he didn't play and don't you think this if the Packers thought that dude was good enough to play don't you think the Packers would be trying to jam him in the same way they jammed in Aaron Rodgers over Favre remember they ran Favre out of Green Bay they ran his ass out Remember, Favre was like, I don't, you know, I, nobody loves me. It's me. I'm Brett Favre. Yeah, okay. This is what the Packers told him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Brett Favre. I'm Mr. Packer. No, I don't know. I think that's still star. Got five titles. You've got one. You know, we kind of count one, two, three, four, five. Taught me that at Miami, okay? Five championships. Versus one. Still think it's star. But hey, I keep count. Maybe you don't. Right? I'm Brett Favre. Oh, my God. This guy is such a moaner. Oh, my God. Let's get Rodgers in, man. He's not a moaner. Little do they, little did they know. Okay, right? You, hey, would we not agree? You have 30 years of quarterbacks. Two, these two guys are going to Canton. But I'll tell you what. Do you not have two of the biggest crybabies of all time in woe is me? Aaron Rodgers, is, you know, I just feel a little respected. 
See, I'm making fun of quarterbacks because I really don't like them. I know. Do you tell Phil Sims and Joe Theismann that? No, not all the time. <laughs> okay? No, not all the time. But, you know, I mean, quarterbacks, these guys are always whining. You know, nobody loves me. Dude, you're making $42 million a year. Yeah, but, you know, you got to pay you know, and it, you're making – you don't ever have to talk to me if you pay me. Like, if you pay me $35 million and you didn't want to say a word to me for, like, ever, I'm, I'll be like, great. I don't, I don't care. Because you show me with the money. You don't show – NFL guys, you show with the money. You don't show with, man, you're so great. That's coach stuff. Hey, man, you're really one of the greatest players of all time. Okay, you going to pay me? Well, not this year. Okay, well then let me know when I'll know then that I'm one of the greats and I'm a guy we're going forward with. Okay? So now you got Aaron Rodgers moaning going, well, what was me? They drafted a quarterback. <sighs> I can't even do it, dude. These guys are so wormy. All these quarterbacks, they're wormy. Oh. Yeah. They drafted a quarterback. I'm just, you know, I don't know. So, do you love me? Dude, please. You're making me feel uncomfortable. And that's really weird. He's really weird. Yeah, I think I'm going to be the guest host of Jeopardy. Okay. Okay, well, that'd be like me doing this. Hey, you know what, man? I've always wanted to be like the host of like Wheel of Fortune. You know, you really don't have to do too much here. Just spin the wheel, you know? And just say super things like, you know, say Jack did. I never got him anyway. I got Vanna. I don't, right? But I never got, I never got, just give me the wheel of fortune, man. I'll just spin that bitch, too. Just spin it around there. Hey, you got a $500 trip to Green Bay, <laughs> right? And then, oh, my God, he wants to be the guest. I'm going to retire and make, now that job does pay well, 15 million bones. But let's just take a look at this. So their idiot general manager, you know what he comes out and says a couple days ago? Well, then, as the foreseeable future, um, Aaron Rodgers is our starting quarterback. That's a lawyer's answer. That's like your agent answering. Does he want to play here? Well, in the foreseeable future, he'll keep his options up. Those are lawyer answers. You know, when you are definitive and you have conviction – you do this like Dallas did. Well, that's my guy. You know what Jerry did? Sugar plums and all. Well, here's what we're going to do with sugar plums. Dak, I love you. Yeah, Jerry, I know you love me, man. But, you know, no, 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 no. Here's that wire transfer for $42 million and your sign-up bonus, which will pay you this year, $72 million. Well, we're boys now, Jerry. <laughs> we're boys now. I'm going to break my back for you. That's how people see things today. Not this. Oh, you're great. It's wonderful. It's You're great. No. So you're going to wire transfer over the four quarters of this year, $72 million. Yeah. You get your 30-some-odd million dollar sign-up bonus, and you get the 30, and you're going to get like 40-some-odd million dollars in your um, salary. 78 million bucks he's making this year. Say it to you one more time. That's conviction. That's letting me know. Here's what the dumbass Packers did. 
hey, I want I want to redo a deal with you. And uh, let's see if we can move forward here on making this deal happen. But we want you to restructure it so it's team friendly for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is like this. After you just drafted a quarterback, you want me to hook you up? Why would I hook you up? And by the way, for the record, guys, we're 26-6 and six in two years with a new head football coach who, quite frankly, watch this, you're welcome. You're welcome. Did you think, like, watch it here. Like, after watching Mike McCarthy and him limp around the Dallas Cowboys his first year as the head coach, I went like this. I don't know. I don't know if that guy is the guy with that record that I saw up in Green Bay. Because when you have Brett Favre and you have Aaron Rodgers and I don't know, you don't win more in the postseason. Do you know that Aaron Rodgers, since he won that Super Bowl a decade ago, can't believe it's been a decade, that dude's seven and eight. Okay? Seven and eight. This guy puts up great numbers in the regular season. And by the way, for the record, I don't think y'all – Stuck out loud in that NFC title game. I don't think he did. Okay, I actually think he played pretty well. It was some defensive gaffes and a Matt LaFleur gaff there, not going for it on fourth down. That wasn't on Rodgers. I thought they should have went for it. I even said that. I went, you're not going for that, dude? What is up with that? You're not going for it? Man, I don't know. But this relationship, now he's saying, I'd like to play maybe in Las Vegas. What? <laughs> well, you can't play now in uh, San Francisco. Trey Lance is up there and Jimmy Garoppolo. They just made a move with the Rams with Matthew Stafford, and they got the dude in Justin Herbert with Chargers. There's no other place going because he's a California kid. So what's the next best option? There's two, I think. It's Denver or it's the Raiders in Vegas. Okay, where would you rather go? If you're Aaron Rodgers, think about that for a minute. Okay, let me go to the Raiders where John Gruden is the most overrated coach in the history of the National Football League. Watch, I can do John Gruden. Here's here's John Gruden. Hey, oh, yeah, pirate, you know, and you look at quarterbacks and you go to quarterback school. Hey, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know what I'm saying? Hey, Dopey, win some games, Okay. Yeah, you know, I like that Johnny Manziel. He's like the best quarterback, man. He's a can't-miss guy. Hey, you know, the Raider guy with the patch over his eye and all. And like, Dude, okay. NFL guys don't give a crap about TV stuff, man. They want genuine coaches to tell them to their face what made Jimmy Johnson and guys like Bill Parcells and guys like Bill Walsh work is that they looked the player in the face and they said this to you. You're here. He's there. This is what you have to do to get there. Yeah, but coach, you I don't care what anybody tells you. Son, I'm the guy who's the head coach, general manager, grand poobah, and by the way, sits on the throne at this organization. And I'm telling you, you're here. He's there. It's a totem pole. You're at the very end of it. And some kids can't take that. You saw Carson Wentz melt down in Philly. Drafted Jalen Hurts. Doug Peterson, you know why he couldn't tell Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz to shut the hell up? Because he had too many people and too much noise in his ear from the stupid owner to the stupid general manager. Get out of my face. You think anybody's telling Bill Parcells, 
hey, you got to, you know, think about playing this guy versus that guy. Hey, what about Pete, you know, Pete Carroll too? You think he's got anybody in his ear? No. You got too many dudes, man. Watch this. You know, we, I see a folder sometimes passed around on a player. Watch this. Here's a folder. Goes over to the scouts. Goes to the GM. Goes over to, like, the director of player personnel. Goes to some of the guys in the front office. It's gone through five hands before it got to the head coach's hands. Then it gets to the head coach's hands, and everybody's put their poison on it. And you read this file, and everyone's got an opinion on it. And just like with COVID protocols, you don't know where you're going. Do I put a mask on or not? Outside or inside? What the hell's going on here? You can't run a football team by committee. You cannot run a football team by committee. There's one dude that runs the team. There's one dude that makes decisions. There's one dude that looks the player in the face and says, son, this is where we are, and here's where you are. When you got that committee stuff like you have in Philly or you have in New York with the Jets or you have – you think Mike Tomlin has a committee? Let me tell you how that place is run. That place is run like this. Mike Tomlin, reason they've only had three head football coaches, Pittsburgh, okay? The head coach is given the keys to the yacht. He's the guy that rows and takes that baby out to sea. It's his boat. And you know what the general manager does in Philly, or excuse me, in Pittsburgh versus the dude in Philly? This is what Kevin Colbert, and we'll have Kevin Colbert on this week, the GM of the Steelers. And I'll show you the difference between that place and that place. He goes to Mike Tomlin like this. Mike, I'm here for you. What do you need? And by the way, you know this. Um, Mike Tomlin can be fired by Kevin Colbert, but Kevin Colbert doesn't play big britches with him. He looks at me and goes, what, what, what do I need to help you What's a profile? What's a Mike Tomlin type of guy? Don't let go of the rope. You've heard all of his stuff, okay? And by the way, Mike Tomlin is as direct as you can possibly be as a head coach. You know immediately what is being asked of you, okay? You know immediately on what's being asked of you when you walk, walk into Pittsburgh, okay? He's going to tell you flat out, this is how we do crap. This is how we do things. Here's where you are. Here's where you need to be. You've been drafted to the Steelers. I don't care if you're a first pick. I don't care if you're the seventh rounder. You're going to be expected to come into this place and be just like everyone else. Here's my manual, not theirs. In Philly, you have this. Here's the owner. The owner who pretends to be a football guy. Hey, this guy here from Eagle Creek University, man. I saw this guy play against Helen Keller University, and man, this guy is really great. No, you didn't. <laughs> here, Howie, what do you think? Yeah, man, you like him? 
I like them too. Okay? Do, do you think rock, paper, scissors likes them? We'll ask him last. What kind of do you like them? Let's draft them. Like here, here's another example. It's not just it's not just Philly. It's the Cowboys. So when they got Mika Parsons to the Cowboys and they drafted him, did you hear that there was a Zoom call to welcome him in to the Cowboy franchise? Do you know who was not on the Zoom call? Mike McCarthy. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Your first round pick and the head coach wasn't on the call that welcomed you in to being a Dallas Cowboy. The defensive coordinator, Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones were on the call, but the head coach was playing golf. Not really, but I mean, wasn't on the call with your first pick, your first round pick. What does that tell you? Hey, if I could sit down right now, I'd put Mike McCarthy on my lap and go, let me put my hand up behind his head. Hey, Mike, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing really good. <laughs> hey, Mike, what do you think of Mika Parsons? I think he's very good. That's what you got here, man. You think Mike McCarthy has any say with the Dallas Cowboys? That'd be a zero. He has absolutely no say in that building. How could you not be on the call with your first pick? <laughs> I mean, there's some places you can't do anything without first running it by the head coach. My coach, Jimmy Johnson, who was on last week, and I'll reference him a lot because Jimmy's success is the reason why he's a, a, a Hall of Famer and now in Canton. There was not one move made in Dallas. Here, and let's get the skinny and the history on it. There was not one move in Dallas that was made when Jimmy Johnson was trading or signing or evaluating that wasn't run by him. It wasn't run by the owner. You know, the owner thinks and the owner's trying to change history. You see, with social media now, you can try to change history. Jerry is trying to change the history that he did everything in Dallas to win those three Super Bowls. It was so far from the truth. You think he made the Charles Haley move and the Charles Haley trade from the 49ers to the Dallas Cowboys? Do you guys even know the story? Here's the story. After George Seifert got the job, you know what Charles Haley did? He left the team meeting room. He went right over to George Seifert's car out of the team meeting room, and he urinated on it. He urinated on George Seifert's car. Ask anybody who was in the room. Urinated on it. So what did Carmen Policy do? Seifert says, I want this guy's ass out of here. Eddie DeBartolo has told me this story numerous times and said that my, one of my biggest mistakes was letting Joe go and him go. So you know what they did? They called the 1-15 Dallas Cowboys. Jimmy Johnson picks up the phone. Bob Ackles hands him the phone, the guy who he did business with. And Bob goes, you're never going to believe this, but the 49ers want to get rid of Charles Haley. Jimmy went, for what? There were some picks and this and that. Jimmy Johnson brings in Charles Haley, and the rest is history. Haley becomes a Hall of Famer, wins four Super Bowls. I mean, that's how easy it was handled with Jimmy. But you know what he told also Charles Haley? 
You could be a member of the Dallas Cowboys. You don't want to practice hard? That's fine. You don't want to give all out in practice? That's fine. But the day you don't put nine tackles and two sacks on the board and you're not productive with Dallas Cowboys, we're going to have a problem. Do we understand one another? Charles Haley said, absolutely, sir. And went in there and they won three Super Bowls. All under Jimmy Johnson's guidance. Then he goes up and tells Jerry, we just traded for Charles Haley. How do you think we told the story about the Herschel Walker deal? Jimmy went on a run with his assistant coaches. And basically, in the middle of the run, he looks over at Dave Wanstatt and goes, I think I'm going to trade Herschel Walker. What? Herschel just came off a 1,500-yard year and 750 yards catching and receiving. And Jimmy goes, I think I'm going to trade him. And everyone in the run goes, why would you do that? Where are we going with him? There's so many. He, Jimmy said last week on this show, this show right here, he couldn't believe all the weak holes they had on that football team because the team just got old. Tom Rafferty's, the old Randy White's. All them old dudes, man. Jimmy said, no way. No way, man. We're going to get better, and we're going to trade Walker away. You know, all these guys like to change. And now look at Jerry. You know, Jerry, he keeps telling everybody how important he was to the Cowboy dynasty that Jimmy built. Why hasn't he done it again? Do you know the Dallas Cowboys haven't been to an NFC championship game in 27 years? Well, if he's such a brilliant dude, you know, usually history repeats itself, especially in that league. Why hasn't he done it? I mean, look at that. They've not been to an NFC title game since the Johnson era. Okay, and if you look at them, they've been 500 basically since. They've had some nice picks, some decent runs. Hey, and let me do this and back up and say this to you. Jerry Jones is a great businessman. Okay, he is the modern-day Al Davis. He has taken a franchise that he bought for $154 million and turned it into a $5 billion business. And the most notable and recognizable franchise in the world next to Man U. There's no doubt about it. Okay, he, he has been a brilliant, brilliant business guy. But when it comes to picking personnel and it comes to putting football teams together. Look at the Cowboys right now. You know, you've got some of the highest paid guys in the National Football League right now. Okay? Zeke Elliott, you think he's a top 5 guy? Well, he's making $17 million a year. You think Dak Prescott is the best player in the game? He's the highest paid guy, he's making 42. You got a receiver in Amari Cooper that's making 20. Would you put him in the top 5 receivers in the NFL? I wouldn't put one of those guys in the top 10. Zeke's not a top 10 running back. Dak, maybe. Dak's probably a top 10 quarterback. But Amari Cooper, how many times have you seen that guy powdering his nose on the sidelines, putting his hand up, saying, I want to come out because he got dinged up a bit? Dude. Then you got Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith is overpaid. You got everyone on that team, and that's because Jerry falls in love with his guys, and he falls in love with his draft choices. And before you know it, you're looking around going, look at this for a second. If you add it up, you got $42 million in quarterback. You got another $20 million in a receiver. 
and you basically got another $20 million in a running back. You got $100 million of your $180 million salary cap inside of three dudes. How are you building an O-line? Every one of those guys average five million bucks. That's another twenty-five million dollars. By the time you get off your offensive side of the uh, death chart, you've you spent about one hundred thirty-five of your one hundred and eighty million dollars salary cap. How how are you building depth? How are you building a defense? How are you building special teams? That'll be the weakest part of the Cowboys this year. Will be the fact that their depth level will be atrocious because they don't have any money to spend. And when you look at where they – see, to me, instead of picking up that option with Ezekiel Elliott, they should have they should have jettisoned him, got a running back for cheaper, took the hit in the cap, but she would have had the roster spot and maybe freed up some more money. The Cowboys, man, have tied themselves into a bind. You see, if you notice already what Kansas City's having to do, Kansas City gives Patrick Mahomes that $500 million. But you know what they did with Patrick Mahomes? And Lee Steinberg, the agent, was brilliant in this. It was a team-friendly deal so that they could sign that gigantic contract that had escalators in it. Well, they have off-ramps for the team to be able to renegotiate the contract so that they can restructure it, give him more in the guarantee. And if they have to go out and sign an offensive tackle like they did with Orlando Brown, they're able to do that on the fly because the quarterback's working along with them and the quarterback knows I want to get my $500 million over 10 years. The only way I'm going to be able to do that is by restructuring. That is the only way that I'm going to be able to do that. It's the only way. So um, make no mistake. Hey, I hope uh, Bill Romanowski, um, Hey, Krause, we're waiting for him. He's waiting for you guys uh, to plug him in there. If you could plug him in, we really appreciate it. He's waiting for us right now, so we hopefully we're going to be able to catch up with him and get his thoughts on joining us here and what he saw in the upcoming NFL draft. So make no mistake about it, man. I think this is going to be a great 2021, um, without a doubt. I think he's going to be a great 2021 NFL season. All right, why don't we take a quick timeout? Hopefully we'll catch up with our boy Bill Romanowski. You keep it right here on the National Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. National Football Show with your boy Cilio here. We've had Mario Cristobal on with us, Howard Balzer. Man, the last couple days have been great. Jimmy Johnson stepped in. Tony Casillas stepped in with us. Just a boatload of guys have come aboard. And this is one of my favorite people of all time. We're nutmeggers ourselves from Connecticut. He owns four Super Bowls. He also owns Nutrition 53. We'll get to that here in a minute. But he is the legendary... Bill Romanowski, and he joins the National Football Show. Bill, thanks so much for doing this, brother. Great to be on, Danny. How are you doing? All good, Bill. You know, I was <clears throat> I was just talking to um, Howard Balzer, and I had Jimmy on with me last week. You know, every time I get people saying this to me, dude, give me a grade. I'm like, these guys don't even have helmets yet. Okay, <laughs> they haven't even showed up to get jock straps yet. I mean, you have no idea. Bill, what's the toughest transition that these young players will go through as it goes from the college game and some of the guys are coming from gigantic programs and going to the NFL? What was the biggest deal that you had to deal with going from college to the pros? Biggest thing right away was speed. Fortunately, I had great speed and, and good instincts. And then came the mental game. And, you know, 40, the 49ers who I got drafted by, you know, had a pretty complex defensive system. We always put in, you know, I don't know, we would put 20, 25 blitzes in every week and we would maybe run one, but you had to know everything. And um, so, hey, as long as you could, as long as you could play and run, it was all about the mental aspect of the game and really understanding your position within the defense. And that was something I was always really good at. You know, Bill, I, I, I tell everyone, I go, if you're fast and strong, well, guess what? Don't thank me for not robbing a bank. You're in the NFL, dude. I mean, yep. everybody's there. But for me, I think the biggest thing that I learned – and being around guys like Leroy Salmon and being around guys like Ed Tall Jones, the study and the routine, Bill, guys yeah. like yourself, if I was a rookie, I would find the most experienced guy in the locker room 
and I want to know your routine. Isn't that kind of the secret sauce? Because, hey, everybody can run and everybody's a good player. Yeah. Traditionally, that gets into the NFL. It's the nuances of finding that routine, isn't it, once you're in that locker room? Absolutely. And I remember early in my career, we brought in a safety from New Orleans, David Waymer. He's not with us anymore, and it's sad to say, but you talk about a guy who really knew how to study. And going in the film room with him was like going in with a Bill Walsh on the offensive side of the ball. He would just, you know, break things down in a way, and it was in a way that you could remember it and know it on game day. So he was incredible. And then, you know, just the leadership that we had in a Ronnie Lott. And then you got to have the horses up front to rush the passer. And man, did we have a defensive line. So when you can rush the passer with four, it really makes coverage easy. So I was fortunate to be drafted by the 49ers and to play and learn in that system from so many greats. And that followed me the rest of my career. Yeah, man, I played with one of those guys that you played with, Kevin Fagan, who was with me at the University of Miami. Michael Carter was on those great football teams, too. I mean, Bill, I tell everyone, too, you know, I go from the University of Miami and no disrespect to Ray Perkins or any of those guys that were in Tampa, but they were a 4-12 and football team. The culture in the building wasn't very good. I could not believe, Bill, that I went from one place to another place that after the first period or after the first like um, first like half would end, these guys were ready to put their hand up, and it was over. And I asked Kevin about him going from Miami to San Francisco, and he goes, I'm so fortunate that I went to a winning organization because oh, yeah. the culture was in the building. Bill, how important was that for you to get drafted by a 49er culture that had so many great players around it instead of, say, going to a place – that didn't really have a great culture. Well, you know what it was? It it was the mindset that Bill Walsh brought to us. And he'd basically tell us, if you guys play your game on Sunday, you're going to win. And so we had this confidence. And I remember my first team meeting. I look down to my right, I see Joe Montana sitting next to him as Steve right is uh Steve Young. To my to my left was Jerry Rice. Ronnie Lott was sitting behind me. Roger Craig, I just go on and on with these players, but when you took the field, oh my God, these guys got after it and competed and I think the thing that really was special in San Francisco is the way we competed every day in practice because when you practice hard it gave you a chance on Sunday but the fortunate thing we didn't practice in pads and we would hear these stories about all these other teams practicing in pads and you know we would wear our hat out you know, on our Friday practice and no pads and Bill Walsh would call us up before practice. And he said, men, 
you are going to be fresher than every team in the NFL because you're not wearing pads. But I want to see the speed and attention to detail. So let's have a great practice and realize you're going to feel better. You know, I think we were playing the Saints that day. You're going to feel better than every Saints players because I know they're really hitting hard in practice right now. I used to tell Randy Cross how much I hated him because <laughs> he would go like this. Oh, yeah, after week eight? Oh, no, man, we're, we're in helmets and sometimes shells and shorts. And, you know, sometimes it's not even hats. It's like it's just a hat. And I'm going like, so hang on, I'm going through three days. And I'm going through all these practices. And you guys are in shells? He goes, yeah, sometimes we'd go out. And if we were playing really well, we'd be out just in – you know, helmets and shorts. And I'm going like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, even in training camp, I oh. remember, you know, every afternoon practice, we were out of pads morning. It was kind of like every other practice we were in pads in out. And again, Bill just kept reiterating to us, Hey, come playoff time. He, he would say this in training camp, come playoff time, you guys are going to be fresher and you guys are going to be ready to compete at a really high level because your bodies are going to feel better. So that's why we're out of pads today. And he would basically just tell you, you're going to feel better come playoff time. And they were, man, five titles during that run there too. And Bill, let me, let me get to the modern day 49ers here. How do you think John Lynch and – Kyle Shanahan are handling this whole thing with uh, Kyle Trask going in now being a number three pick. Um, and, or excuse me, Trey Lance. Trey Lance getting to be the number three pick at a North Dakota State and keeping Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster. Mm -hmm. How important is all of that? And how do you see that playing out? Um, you know, I think they pretty much have to make some kind of a move with Garoppolo. You know, uh, before the season, Bill, Bill, Bill for, before the season or during the season? I think they're going to do it before. And, you know, he, here's the next thing. They really gave up a lot to move up. So what if, um, you know, what if all of a sudden he falters a little bit? Then... Everyone's everyone now is saying, well, how, how brilliant. And another thing that I thought was pretty brilliant just for the 49ers is all you heard about every damn day was who are the 49ers going to take? And everybody was talking about the San Francisco 49ers for the last, you know, two to three months. And so that was brilliant. And now, hey, um, you have this scenario where you know Jimmy G, I don't think there's any chance he'll be on that roster, you know, come training camp. And it comes down to what they can do with him. Or it's a situation where, you know, you, you do think of the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers situation. But to pay somebody as much as they're paying him and to give up as much as you gave up for Trey Lance, you really 
need to let him play and earn it and go out there and hopefully be the great player that he can be. Let me take you now to this one here. So I, I'm not getting what's going on in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, but two teams you play for, the Broncos and I heard over the weekend Raiders, and Rodgers even makes it like, hey, I'd love to sit there and maybe play in Las Vegas for John Gruden. I mean, first, do you think this thing gets resolved in Green Bay, or do you think that that marriage now is in need of a – not a marriage counselor – but that thing's in need of a marriage divorce lawyer because, I don't know, man, there's been really a lot of mud slung in this thing. How do you see this thing playing out? Um, you know, he's kind of for, – for a – we saw Russell Wilson do I don't, some not really the same as this, but brought up some things earlier in the offseason. And for Aaron Rodgers to do that – I don't understand why, unless 100% you are not going to play for the Green Bay Packers next year. And, you know, surely he's got enough cash where he doesn't have to worry about it. So set that aside. And here would be one thing that I would say. Is he really, really passionate about the game of football. Lord knows he is good. He damn he's great. But do I see that just love and does that burning desire to go out and kick ass? I don't know. I, there's a complete difference between him and the other extreme would be Tom Brady. The passion and what he brings to a football team you know, I don't think Aaron brings that play where he's one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League. But there's just something as far as his passion and how much he loves the game that I don't quite see there. So you have a problem with him being the host of Jeopardy then going – Potpourri for 200. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I thought he actually did a pretty good job. I did job. too. I thought he was good, but I'm, hey, Bill, you know what? I'm with you. I'm like this. Haas, you know, when you're in an NFL locker room, there's only like, there's, there's like 52 of these chairs, 53 of these chairs, and they're so hyper, like, competitive to get one of those chairs I don't know, man. I just, I mean, if you're not laser focused on everything you're doing, you lose your chair in that locker room, man. I mean, yeah. it, you lose edge. You lose, you, if you lose 2% of everything that got you there, you're out of the league. And so it, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I'd have a problem with it, but I would question it. Is that fair? Hey, I'm always, you know, he just seems like kind of a different guy. Yeah, different dude. I think he's I think he's a good guy. Uh no issues there. I think he's a good person. Um, you know, the only thing I do is I just kind of question how just that passion yeah. for winning and hey, he's 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 a Hall of Famer, you know, he's an amazing player. You know, I'm just talking yeah. I'm like trying to compare him to Brady. 
yeah. with what I'm doing. And he just doesn't have that little bit of that fire that Tom has. I agree. That's I think that's a difference right there. Like you said, that's the difference between him and Tom Brady is right there. Oh, yeah. And when you're that dude and you are the gold standard, you are the mountain. Yes. That that difference is right there. All right, Bill, let me let me get to um Nutrition 53. Tell everybody, man, a little bit about it here too. And I know that this has been a passion, even when you were playing like in Denver, that this was something that you were really like wanting to do. You've been doing it now for God, I've got to be over what two decades now that you've yeah, been like, developing this? Yeah, well, 12 years I've been doing this and you know, one thing, nutrition had such a big impact in my career that when I got out of football, I was like, okay, what do I want to do next? How do I make a big impact? Because football was about me and my ego. But starting Nutrition 53 and getting Lean One out there that helps people, you know, be stronger, more fit and healthier than they've ever been in their life and help them, you know, really take off those pounds that they need to take off to be healthier, to do what they love to do, you know, week in and week out. I love that because I get every day, there's somebody calling in, there's a message uh, to me saying, Bill, Lean One has changed my life. And if there's anybody out there that wants the best tasting fat-burning meal replacement on planet Earth. It's Lean One. Hey, you can lose up to 10 to 15 pounds in one month and really get your health back. It is. Bill sent me a box with all this stuff in it, and we used every single bit of it, man. It was sensational. I recommend it for anyone. I was a big nutrition guy, big weightlifter guy, and I used it all. Bill, I appreciate you doing this, brother. You really do a great job on making people healthy again. And I love you, man. Thank you so much you for doing it. this, brother. Take care, Danny. You got it, man. Bill Romanowski, the owner of four Super Bowl championships. And he said something there that was really interesting. The difference between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers is this much. You know, it's funny. I always get asked, Dan, what's it like to have made it to the National Football League? What's the difference between me and that guy this much? It's a fine line. It is luck, skill, talent, perseverance. I'm thinking the words that come to my head here. Never quitting. Drive. You see, you, you have to do this in anything you do in your life, I think. When you have your head down and you're just working at something, you're working at something, you're working at something, you're just constantly, you're just laser focused on something that you're working on. You're just working on. You're working on. When you do this, you look up and around. That's when you get hit with distractions. Being a professional athlete is about being centric on one thing. By the way, you have to have an ego like nobody's business. You're always talking about yourself. 
you're always thinking about what's best for you. You're always thinking about what's the next thing I can do to make myself better. People go, you're a narcissist. A narcissist? Do you understand that this is a journey that everything has to be perfect? Your body has to be perfect. Your mind, more so than anything, your mind has to be perfect. You see, what's going to be the problem for probably around 68% of these kids that will be drafted this past weekend going into camp will be this. Not getting to where I needed to get to my first time around. Find that one dude in the room. You see, I learned it when I got to the Cowboys. It's too late. I got to the Cowboys. I saw how Ed Jones, Ed Jones played 17 years, two tall Jones. Love him. Ed showed up at a particular time every single day. Went into the training room, got his ankles taped every single day the same way. Went into the train table every single day the same way. It was a routine. When you're an NFL kid and it's your first camp and it's your first go around, you're doing this. Where the hell do I go? Your head's on a swivel. You think these kids here. Now, I will say this. The NFL teams have made it a lot easier for these kids to make that transition from the college game, especially these programs today. Some of these programs are just absolutely sensational. You know, I would even make this point to you. Some of these camps and some of these football programs like Alabama, LSU, um, Oregon, okay, some of these programs, you heard Mario Cristobal on with us earlier. Mario Cristobal flat out said they got the best of everything. There's always eyes on every single one of these guys. And they're giving them the absolute very best that they possibly can at all times. When you're in the NFL, you know what the problem is? Get this. You get to go home. You're on your own. Okay? You're on your own. When I was in college with Jimmy Johnson, watch this. 7.30 in the morning, I'm up. Train table, 8 o'clock. I still know it to this day. 8 o'clock, train table. First class at 9. Get my ass to class. Got another class at 10. 11 o'clock. Get my butt over to the training training um, facility in case I got any injuries. Then I work out. Okay? I work out prior to going into my team meeting and my position meeting. Then at 3.15, I go out and we practice for three hours. Then I come back. I go into the training room if I have any injuries or anything. Then I go to dinner. Then I go to study hall. Then I start it all over again the next day. When you're in the NFL, this is what you do. You show up at 8 o'clock. You're there until around 5 o'clock. Then you go home. My first year, I got home. I was like, okay, this, okay, what do I do? You get lost in that stuff. It's a lot easier. And some of you are out there going, dude, I'd kill for that. I get it. Okay? I I, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I get it. But when you've been doing something for five years, every single day of your life, some guys even back into high school, doing it every single day like that, forever, 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 forever. 
these kids are going to go into these um, rookie camps and they're going to go into these um, OTAs. They're not going to know what the hell to do because it's going to be like a fish out of water, man. That's exactly what happens to these kids. So Bill's right, man. You know, speed, great. Strength, great. Find that guy. Sit next to him. Ask him questions. By the way, the veteran guys, they'll answer questions. They're not going to offer it up to you, though. They're not just going to sit there and go, hey, kid, you know, um, why don't you come over here? I'll help you. That's not going to work like that. You've got to go and ask for help. Everyone, including Trevor Lawrence. When he walks into that NFL camp, you're going to look to him and go, hey, help me, man. What do I, what, what, what to give me and help me the ropes? Man, having veteran quarterbacks on your team when you draft a quarterback, have you see, did you hear what Jimmy Garoppolo did? Jimmy Garoppolo, as soon as they drafted Trey Lance, the first he the first text he got from the 49ers was was from Jimmy Garoppolo. That is such a great thing to hear that Jimmy Garoppolo reached out to him. I guarantee it is. Tom Brady reaching out to him. Tom Brady went up to Bob Kraft's office and said, get rid of this dude. <laughs> right? That's what he did. All right, man. Had a great time. I so appreciate everybody hanging in there. Krause, that was awesome. He had to throw his Bama love in there, too, to talking to Mario Cristobal, who was there a little bit in Alabama. That was great having him on. So we'll catch you tomorrow going 4 to 6 Eastern time. Big sales right here for the National Football Show. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.